Welcome back to the Samantha Show. I'm your host, Samantha, or you can call me Sam, just don't call me Sammy. And I wanted to start a new segment on this podcast. So every time we get together and we get to catch up here on this podcast, I want to share with you three things that I think you need to know. So these may be things, facts, entertainment-based news. Not that I'm going to start reporting the news because I cannot handle the pressure of the media, okay? I'm just here in my space sharing mostly opinion-based information. But three things that I think you should know, and these three things may change week to week as far as the topic or the focus. It could be, again, something about entertainment. It could be something that I bought recently that you need to go buy. It could be just straight facts. Like it could be a fact about bees that I learned this week. You know, we're getting into bee season, springtime here in the Midwest. And uh, I recently read a book a lot about bees. I'm learning things. I want to share things that I think you need to know. So let's kick it off. First ever on The Samantha Show, three things you need to know. Dolly Parton released a new song, World on Fire. In fact, she's releasing an entire new album this November. November 17th, you can put it on your calendar, but we're not quite there yet. But you know, in true musical artist fashion, we get a little taste, a little something, something to get us excited for what's coming up. She released a song that you can go listen to now called World on Fire. It slaps. It's good. Dolly dresses a lot of social issues. I have to share my favorite line from the song. Okay, are you ready for this? Greedy politicians, present and past, wouldn't know the truth if it bit them in the ass. Oh, Dolly, stop. I love it so much. But stop. Okay. Uh, so really fun song. At three minutes into the song, you get the breakdown, right? Where we go a little bit acoustic. We got some like stomping, clapping. It's good. Check it out. World on Fire by Dolly Parton. And then her full length album is coming out November 17th. It's titled Rockstar. It's going to feature nine original songs and 21 iconic rock covers. I'm here for a Dolly Parton rock cover. If you've never heard Dolly's version of Shine by Collective Soul, go get it right now. Go listen to it right now. Go, go, go. You can come back to this podcast after you listen to it. Really good. So I love when an artist like Dolly Parton can take classic rock songs and put a spin on it, put her flavor on it. So I'm really looking forward to that album coming out. Number two, what you need to know. Disney's The Little Mermaid real life version comes out this Friday, May 26th. Put it on your calendar to go see it. Very excited to go check out The Little Mermaid. My daughter keeps asking me about it. It's on our radar. Gracie's little friend wants us to take her with us to go see it. Like we'll probably do that. We're going to make it a whole thing. So Little Mermaid comes out the 26th, you know Disney does it right. Okay, Disney does it right every single time. So don't deny that and go be a part of this. Go check it out. I was talking not long ago with a writer from Psycho Bar. We're talking about how good Cruella was and how good Beauty and the Beast, like Disney does it right. Okay, The Little Mermaid out this Friday. Finally, third thing you need to know. When you're putting on your fake eyelashes, so I like to use Flutter Habit, When you go to put on your fake eyelashes, 
you need to wait like eight hours or so before you sneeze. Because if you sneeze while you have your lashes on with the glue still drying, you're either one of two things is going to happen. The lashes are going to fall off because they're going to, you know, kind of get stuck and stay down there. Or you're going to sneeze and then you're not going to be able to open your eyes again. Okay. I was putting on my lashes the other day and it's allergy season. It's bee season, allergy season, springtime, baby. I put my lashes on like two hours after I had had them on already, but they're still kind of sticky. The glue, like it's still, it's drying, it's setting. And I had a sneeze coming on. I was like, oh, Samantha, don't sneeze. Don't sneeze. I knew it was going to happen. I sneeze and you know, yeah, like squint your eyes closed when you sneeze. You can't not do that. I, I remember hearing as a kid that if you try to sneeze with your eyes open, your eyeballs pop out. I don't know. Somebody try it. Let me know. You sneeze, you squint your eyes shut, and then, oh, man, my eye, my eye, they got stuck together. And then I, like, had all this glue on the bottom lash. And if you're going to put your lashes on, really try not to sneeze for about mm, eight hours or so until the glue is nice and dry. So those are the three things you need to know. Dolly Parton's got a new song. Little Mermaid comes out this Friday. Don't sneeze while your lashes are drying. Okay, that's my pro tip for you. So today, I really wanted to talk about our emotional response in the workplace. Ooh, I'm an emotional person. I cry all the time. I don't cry sad tears or mad tears I'm a happy crier which is nice like I'm a very like I'm easily moved I get that from my dad I'm easily moved so it's it doesn't take much for me to just be so happy I cry but I've been thinking a lot about emotion in the workplace I was reflecting back on a time when I had less control over my emotional response in the workplace and I think that it's a maturity level type thing on on how we react to situations and our ability to control the response in a professional manner. So I was very involved with cheerleading growing up. And about seven or eight years ago, I coached a high school cheerleading squad and squad this team was part of the GWAC, the Greater Western Ohio Conference, which is a, it's a D1 conference, a D1, typically D1 schools. And it was a big deal. Cheerleading's a really big deal in our area. The schools, the big schools in our area, like these girls are good. Girls and guys are, they're good. They're real good. And you know, they're like coming out of the womb and their mamas are like, you got to go practice tumbling if you're going to cheer in high school. So, you know, they take it very seriously. And I coached at this school and the team that struggled to place well at our annual conference cheerleading competition, the GWAC competition. And so I really wanted to come into this school and do everything I could to bump up their placing. I, I knew that we weren't going to place top three, but I just wanted to see progress and growth in the placement for this team. So I came in my first year and, it, you know, the first time you coach, it's about an assessment and where we're at and where we're where we can go, who we can be. And so we did that and we did fine for the school and, and their ability at that time. But then headed into year two, I was ready to set some standards and I really wanted to challenge these ladies to be one of the teams that they talk about in the GWAC, the ones to watch, to be aware of. That that was my hope for them. So 
I worked with these girls for a year and we really stepped the game up. I mean, in a way that had not been done with this school in a long time. And we got to the annual conference competition and actually the football team for the school was incredible and they had made it all the way to the state playoffs and so we had to go to our state capital in Columbus and go to that game and the game the football game was the same day as the cheerleading competition and in school cheering for the teams football basketball soccer wrestling whatever it is that you cheer for is typically the number one priority over competition. We, we're we there to support the team. That's what cheerleaders do. They root for the home team, baby. Let's go. And then competition is kind of like the secondary piece of that in our area. So given that the state game was the same day as the cheerleading competition, my girls had to compete first out of all the teams competing that day. So they had to be the first team to go even before the middle school teams started to compete in the GWAC. So my team went, and when I tell you those happy tears were streaming, I mean, they crushed it. I had never seen them perform the way that they had performed. They nailed every flip, flop, every toe touch. Like, they crushed it. I was in tears. The the music lady next to me, like, had to put her hand on my back to, like, console me during their performance. I was losing my mind. You know if you're a coach how you lose your mind. You know those moments. And so they did phenomenal. And I knew in my heart like if there's an average let's say about 15 teams in our division, I knew we were at least placing top half. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So the day goes on. So we left and we had to go cheer for the football players. That's what we do, right? So we had to go on and and do our duty as a cheerleading squad. And Later that day, I got the results sent to me and we had placed, I think we were third to last place. When you compete or you participate in a sport that is based off scoring, it will always be subjective. I don't care who you are, what you say, what the activity is. At the end of the day, if somebody is watching and viewing and writing down a number, there will always be some level of subjectivity to it. So I get that. You also have to understand too with cheerleading and and competitions, although I I can't, I've judged some in my life, but not a ton, but I have judged, you know, several competitions. And as the day goes on, there's going to be adjustments and changes based on what you view. And so I felt in my heart that we placed so low because we went so early in the morning and the rest of the varsity teams did not compete until six hours later after these judges had had six hours of judging under their belt like they were in the groove by the time they got to the varsity division we were the very first team to go so anyway long story short I was very upset with the place that we got third to last and I I just I, I saw there were some of the other teams were recorded and I just did not feel that our placement was fair I got emotional I literally, I think I laid in bed for, I think I laid in bed for 24 hours in in depression. Like, I think Joe was like, you got to get up. And I was like, I can't get up. We didn't deserve that. My girls didn't deserve it. I felt bad for them. Like, they had worked so hard and had improved so much that I, I just, I was devastated. I was really upset. So I responded emotionally. And I took it upon myself to email 
the GWA commissioner. Okay, this is like the guy at the top of all the sports, at the top of all the D1 schools in the entire area. I was like, I'm about to email the commissioner, right? So I I composed this email, and honestly, I probably still have it in my outbox, but I can't bring myself to go read it because I'll cringe out of embarrassment. But I know that I expressed my frustration really with the process in hindsight Could we have recorded a video that maybe got evaluated closer to when the other teams were going? Um, Could we have stayed and not gone to the football game? Like, I don't remember what my explanation to him was. But let me tell you, I was a competition cheer coach. I wasn't even the head cheer coach at this school. It's not okay, I have learned, to email the GWAC commissioner about your emotional response to how your cheerleading team plays. That's not ideal, right? And I ended up getting in a little bit of trouble. Not a lot, actually. My head coach was very kind and she understood where I was coming from. But you can't respond in that way. It was not appropriate for me to email him. And honestly, nothing was going to change. And I think in hindsight, that's what I know now. And that's where my work experience has taught me that when we respond to a situation Is there an outcome or a solution or is it an emotional response or an emotional outlash? Not that I was like outlash, like going off on him. Maybe I was. I don't know. I'm not going to pull the email up to prove it. I don't want to know. But in hindsight, my email was not going to change anything. At the end of the day, nothing was going to change because there was nothing to change. The scores had been decided. The placements have been given. What's done is done. But we get emotional. And I remember watching a TED talk, I don't know, probably a couple years ago, about emotions in the workplace. Because there's often been this stigma that you have to remove emotion from your work, from your workplace, that you need to be rational on the job. And the TED talk was really fascinating. I was trying to find it, I couldn't find it. It was by a man, and he really was explaining that. Human beings are emotional people. You cannot remove the emotion from work as much as you want to try. Like, and, and, the, and you shouldn't, right? Because emotion makes us creative. It makes us responsive. It makes us, you know, stand up for, you know, when we need to speak out and things like that. So you can't remove a, emotion and you shouldn't. But there is a right time and place to control it and how to place it. And I think that in the last, you know, really five, six years of my life, again, I think through maturity and experience, I feel that I've learned how to better control those emotional responses so that I'm not lashing out. I think we've all had that time in our life where we get an email that really just, oh, it sends us, it sets us off. You know those emails, right? All of a sudden it's on you all day, all day, right? Kind of ruins your day. You get that one email and it really brings you down. What's important is that when we get these emails that cause an emotional response is that we give ourselves time before we hit reply. We take a breath. We take a pause. Then we hit reply. And some things that I've tried to learn and implement over the last couple years in, in my job and in any job um, is, is how I respond. And I, you know, my parents have always taught me 
to respect your superiors, right? You respect your bosses. That doesn't mean that you can't speak up or you can't respond or you can't, you know, share ideas. But at the end of the day, your boss is your boss, right? And you also have to have respect for your coworkers. Your teammates are your teammates. You have to respect them. And we have to then control, not eliminate, control the emotional responses when we get into the workplace. So I was thinking about some different things that I try to use when I'm navigating my emotional responses related to work and I'm very passionate about my job. So there's tons of emotion behind my work because I care so much about what I do. That means a lot of intention behind responses and reactions to things that happen in the workplace. So some things that I was was trying to make a list of things that I feel like really help me when the emotions start to run high to ensure that I still maintain a level of professionalism while sharing my opinion and contributing as a teammate. I think the biggest thing we can do when we start to enter a strong emotional state at work or in any situation in life is to pause and take a breath and step away for a moment. I think the knee-jerk reactions that get us into trouble or when we start to send emails like I did to the GWAC commissioner that we regret. And that pause may mean a five-minute pause. It may mean an eight-hour pause. It may mean a 24-hour pause. I had paused for 24 hours before emailing the GWAC commissioner. Like that wasn't long enough. And in hindsight, I could see that. I was like still in bed crying, I think, when I emailed him 24 hours later. (laughs) But... We have to pause and step away until we can think more rationally. Again, not without emotion, but more rationally. We take a pause. Then I think we need to also consider the other side. Who's the person on the other end? Why are the emotions there? Can we think through the emotional response? Why are we upset about this? What maybe is, if if there's another person with the other end, and there always is, right? Because emotions are connections between people and execution and, and all of the above. So there's always another person involved. Where's the other person coming from? When I think about the positioning of the GWAC commissioner who has these football teams and these players, these incredible athletes from all these schools that he's managing, when I think about him, you know, getting an email from some upset cheerleading coach for placing, you know, 12th, 13th place in the competition, like what, what's his response going to be? You know, like he doesn't have time. He doesn't have to, the competition's over. Like it's done. So where's the other person at in this situation? And then finally, is there a solution? When we're emotionally upset, if somebody has upset us, does it require a follow-up conversation? It may. If, if you know, something is uncomfortable at work or if there's conflict at work, you have to communicate because so much of that conflict and that emotion, especially negative emotion or misunderstanding, is all around communication. Like if people just shared more talked more, talked it out, there would be so much less conflict in work, in life, with friends. Like most of the time, 
the situation is that there's a misunderstanding from where the other person is coming from. A miscommunication with tone in email. Am I right? Or am I right? Right? You wrote it one way. Oh, that person's mad at me. No, it isn't. She just didn't add the exclamation point because you don't have to. It's just a sentence. Miscommunication is major when it comes to triggering emotions and work. So does a conflict or does a situation require an additional conversation? So I think that it's all about communication, taking a pause. We're not removing emotion from the workplace. We can use emotion in a positive way. It's present. It's always going to be there. Emotion is great to have. But we do have to learn how to control that emotion. I also think, too, that when it comes back to responding, let's say, to emails or communications, can we lean into objectivity and facts over subjective feelings and emotions when it comes to having conversations and responses to situations? So again, next time you feel the emotion of work and in a place that is your job and where you need to be professional, I think you pause, you step away. You need to step away from the email. Put, take your hands off the keyboard. Take your hands off the keyboard and walk away. Walk away for a second. Okay, don't be typing anything just yet. Uh, or just be mean. You could pick up your phone. I, type, I text my husband what I would like to say back in the email, you know, and then I breathe. And then you breathe. You step away, you pause, and then you breathe. Then you need to think of an objective response, either with facts or in a way that is professional, that is communicated well. Communication being everything here. It's everything. Talk, talk. Let's have a conversation. Pick up the phone and call somebody for once. You know what I'm saying? So that's where I'm at here, uh, trying to control my emotions. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. You deserve it. Mm-hmm.